want to welcome you this morning. We're so glad you're here, and I want to invite you to get your Bibles out and open and ready to go as we are continuing in our, our New Year's series called The Power of Habits. And today, uh, we are going to be looking at an ancient habit uh, that Christ followers have practiced for 2,000 years, and yet many of us have never, ever even heard of it. It's the habit of silence and solitude. And it's a habit that seems really strange to 21st century people. It's a habit that some of you already think would be impossible to build into your adrenaline-soaked, pedal-to-the-metal, 2020 Bay Area life. But it is a habit that Jesus himself practiced. Jesus, the one we call Lord and Master. And if we are going to truly follow him then we must learn to live the way that he lived. Now, if this habit seems strange and impractical, maybe like impossible to you, I, I want you to consider a possibility right at the front at, at the, that at the root of so many of your life struggles is the reality that you have crammed your life full with noise and with hurry. Have you ever asked yourself, I mean, have you ever stopped to think if at the root of so many of your spiritual struggles, not to mention your emotional and your, your physical issues, if at the root of that somehow is the speed and the volume of your life? I mean, is this maybe why all too often you find yourself missing out on so much of what it seems like the Bible says that Jesus has for you? And I suspect that for many of you, though, you're not sure you could ever be truly silent or you could ever truly find any real solitude, deep, deep down, you desperately long for it. See, we live in a culture, and everybody knows it. It's addicted to speed and busyness and noise and stimulation. And many of us, we've lost control of our lives. We work and we commute long hours, and maybe we can't do very much about that. But then, we voluntarily, nobody's making us do it, we voluntarily overload, put on top of all that already, overload our calendars with recreational activities and other things that we feel sometimes that we need to have because of our exhausting schedules. And sometimes, some of you, have you ever found yourself thinking, I need a vacation for my vacation? And we just end up moving through life so fast, we end up not really enjoying anything. And we're overwhelmed, and we don't think we can slow down, because we think if I slow down, I'm going to miss something. But have you ever had this, like, nagging sense that somehow in all of the hurry of your overcrowded life, you may just be missing out on what is most important? Maybe you're here today and you're finding yourself wishing that you could live in a way that brings you more clarity, brings you more of God's presence, more closeness to Christ, a, a more sustainable, healthy pace of life, a, a relational rhythm with other people that, that will get you to these places and keep you at these places. And I want to tell you today that this is what this habit of silence and solitude is all about. Now, to learn this habit... We need to face what is one of the biggest challenges to living the kind of life that Christ calls us to. And that is our noisy world of digital stimulation and distraction. How many of you have a device in your pocket or sitting on the seat next to you and it's buzzed or it's beeped in the last 30 minutes or so? You know, many of you, in spite of the fact that we ask you to do it every time at the beginning of the service, you still don't put your phone into airplane mode, right? Because you're afraid. You might miss something. You might miss out on something. And how many of you, just be really honest, the truth of the matter is more often than you missing something, you get distracted by something because you get notifications and you get texts that have nothing to do with what God is doing in this room right now. And before you know it, you're off, and then you have to bring yourself back in, and who knows what you didn't hear, what God said, and you didn't notice and didn't listen to. You see, when our devices are always on, they're always ringing and pinging, and when we cannot stop swiping and scrolling and double tapping, it just fragments our minds. It impacts our souls. It really does. 
Do you understand that we are actually living at an unprecedented moment in human history? We're living in a time of unprecedented technological acceleration. And many thinkers are already saying, uh, many historians are already, are, are already agreeing that, you know, at one point when we look back, even with more perspective, that we're going to look at one year. It's the year 2007. And then we're going to see 2007 as a civilizational hinge point. Anyone want to know? Anybody already know what launched in 2007? Is the iPhone. 2007 is the year the first iPhone came out. And, and just a few months before that, this, this website called Facebook, that it opened up to anyone with an email address. And that was a few months after this microblogging and social networking app called Twitter launched. And also right around this time, the cloud began, the app store opened, See, historians are now saying that 2007, just 13 years ago, is going to mark the official start of the digital age. And most of us already, we cannot imagine life without this digital appendage that's connected to our body. Right? And, uh, you know, I'm not here to issue a screed against technology, Okay? I mean, I know all this technology we have is a blessing in many ways. We have more information than ever. That's a good thing in certain ways. But I'll, also, we need to own the fact and realize the truth that we are more distracted than ever. And for a lot of us, our digital addiction, and that is not an overstatement, it actually fragments our focus and it erodes our capacity to concentrate and to think deeply. And that has some significant spiritual implications. I'm reading a book right now called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by a guy named John Mark Comer. And I actually recommend it to you. He includes a fascinating statistic. Anybody want to guess how many times a day the average smartphone user touches their device. I'm not talking about just looking at it, but once you look at it, all the times you touch it, tap, swipe, scroll, whatever you do, here it is. 2,617 times is the average between, between texting and emailing and scrolling through social media and looking at TikTok videos and listening to Spotify and posting photos, surfing the web, and of course, Slain Candy Crush. <laughs> 2,617 times. The average adult. And, and on top of this, okay, for some of you this is going to be more news. If you're a millennial, it's double. Over 5,200 touches a day. This almost involuntary action, insta-liking, commenting, texting, going down the rabbit hole of clickbait. Who's been down that hole this week? You know, and, and then most people are doing this, and they're just oblivious. They don't even know. They've forgotten what is happening. They just have no idea how much time they are losing into the black hole of their phones every day. And worse, they have no idea of the effect it's having on their brains. Did you know this? This little digital device in your hand is intentionally designed for distraction and even compulsion and even addiction because that's where the money is. Economists say that we're now living in the attention economy, which is all about keeping your eyeballs glued to a screen and bringing those eyeballs back as many times and as long as possible because that's where the money is. Uh, not too long ago, there was an interview with a guy named Sean Parker. He was uh, the first president of Facebook. If you saw the movie, he was played by Justin Timberlake. And Sean Parker now calls himself a conscious, conscientious objector to social media. I want you to listen to what he said in an interview a couple of years ago. I'm going to put the, the words on the screen. He said, God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. The thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? 
And that means that we need to give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever, and that's going to get you to contribute more comment, more likes, uh, more content. It's a social validation feedback loop, exactly the kind of thing, now just listen to this, that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. Now, kind of appreciate the honesty, but how disturbing is that? See, understand that this thing in your pocket is designed specifically to exploit your brain's vulnerability to distraction. And if you know that, you're not surprised to learn that the average adult attention span right now is dropping every year. In the year 2000, before Wi-Fi and iPhones, uh, the average attention span was 12 seconds. So uh, not like we had a lot to work with. (laughs) Anyone want to guess what it is right now in 2020? It's eight seconds. That's the average attention span right now. Now, just to put things into perspective for you, a goldfish is nine seconds. We're losing to goldfish. <laughs> and it's just only getting worse. And you feel it, don't you, right? You, you know it. I mean, because this device in your phone, which, by the way, in case you haven't stopped to think about it, it's not just a phone, right? It's actually this microcomputer. It's a highly complex entertainment system, and it is designed to hijack your attention and with it your money. You just do some reading on this. It's fascinating. Right now, uh, stories have been leaking out of Silicon Valley about very, very wealthy tech executives who are paying big, big bucks to send their kids to private schools that are device-free because they know what the tech that they sell that has made them fabulously wealthy, they know what it does to the brain, and they don't want that for their kids. John Comer said that this, what these tech executives are doing, sort of illustrates what rapper Biggie Smalls used to tell fellow, fellow drug dealers, never get high on your own supply. And yes, your pastor just quoted Biggie Smalls <laughs> in a sermon. Hashtag sermon goals, I don't know, you know. Well, what's the effect of all of this digital distraction? And the answer is clearly this. It is catastrophic to your soul. See, besides eroding your ability to concentrate, good luck sitting still and actually praying and concentrating on and focusing on the Word of God enough to read it and hear it and meditate on it. Good luck. Your willpower has no chance against a never-ending scroll and double-tap and swipe and And it just doesn't, right? And if you think you're the exception to the rule, I dare you, I double-dog dare you right now to turn it off. I don't mean put it on airplane mode. I mean turn it off, power it down. And some of you can't do it. And you know you can't do it. You can't. And that ought to, the very fact that you don't want to do it ought to tell you something. You know, but I want to dare you. Let's just see if you survive. I mean, you know, leave it off at least through lunchtime. Or if you're really serious, leave it off for the rest of the weekend. Nervous laughter out there. I hear it. (laughs) What? (laughs) I need to sit down, Pastor Mike. I, I mean, I'm serious about it. I, I really do dare you, and we're, we'll talk about this a little bit more in a few minutes, but I dare you to start a digital detox and start it right now and see if you can resist the urge to pick up your phone before you eat lunch. And I'm telling you, some of you can't, and you won't. See, psychologists say that our relationships to our phones now have a classification, and that classification is now compulsive behavior, and for many people, it's actually full-blown addiction. You just have to. You just have to. You just have to, have to, have to. Check the next text. Open the next email. Scroll through one more post. 
And many of us do not see. We haven't realized that it is all this distraction, digital noise, and addiction is, is doing what it's doing to our souls. For the follower of Christ, it is catastrophic because it is robbing us of the ability to be present with God, present to each other, present to all that is good and beautiful and true in this world God has created. And for the serious follower of Christ, that is catastrophic. Please listen to me. The noise of this world will make you deaf to the voice of God. I mean, think about it. How, how do you have any kind of deep, rich spiritual life with Jesus if you can't pay attention any longer than a goldfish? I mean, how do you pray? How do you open God's word? And some of you right now, are, it's kind of dawning on you. I'm describing your spiritual life. I mean, you've tried. You try. But it's not really working. Maybe this is the reason why. I mean, how do you open God's word, which is like God's text message to you, and you read it and listen for the Holy Spirit? How do you do that when this, like, dopamine dispenser is sitting right there, and it lights up while you're trying to read the Bible? And it's so easy to touch it and see what happens. You get that little bath of dopamine for your brain that feels so good in the moment, but it never satisfies in the end. See, the question we're raising today is this. Is there a spiritual practice from Jesus that can help us, that can create some, some breathing room in our lives? Is there like an ancient spiritual discipline or habit that could help us step away from the noise and the distraction, help us step away from our screens and actually settle our souls down and actually allow us to thrive right here, right now, right in the middle of the noisy, busy Bay Area where we live? And the answer, of course, is yes, and it, it is this habit of silence and solitude. Everyone say silence. 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 Now say it more quietly. Silence. Now whisper solitude. Solitude. Isn't that nice? Some of us don't think it's nice. Some of it makes us nervous. We don't want it to be quiet. You don't like it when it's quiet. But there's a reason for that. It's what we're talking about. So I want you to understand something. Silence and solitude was one of Jesus' keystone habits. This habit connected Jesus deeply to his father, and it was this incredible, incredible source of power for his life and ministry. I just want you to think about this. If Jesus himself needed silence and solitude every day of his life, how much more do you need it? How much more do I need it in our 24-hour uh, world of digital distraction? See, I'm arguing today that silence and solitude is vital to your soul's survival in 2020 and going forward. And we call Jesus our teacher, so we should learn from him. What it means to follow Jesus is not just to do the words that he says to us, but to live the way that he lived, to look at the life we see displayed in the gospel, and to follow, to imitate the practices that he practiced, this way of life he lived that kept him deeply connected to his Father. See, if you're not there yet, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. And if you have an analog Bible, that's awesome. And Right now, some of you are like, you just told me to turn my phone off, Pastor Mike. <laughs> well, there's notes, uh, there's scriptures. Some of these are in the, in the uh, program. And if you're taking notes on your phone, that's okay. You can do that. The judgment-free zone here. Uh, but I want to read this to you from Matthew 3. Context is this. It's the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. He's just been baptized. He's just come up out of the water. And this is what happens. Verse 17, Matthew 3. It says, And a voice from heaven said... This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, can you just imagine hearing the voice of your father in heaven? You're my son, my loved son or daughter. You bring me pleasure. And this was what Jesus lived in. This is the atmosphere that he breathed, living his life in the love of the father. But I want you to watch what happens next because this very next line is kind of strange at first when you read it. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him. That's strange, isn't it? Have you ever read that and thought, those just don't go together? What, what was happening here? I mean, right after this high point, this baptism by the Holy Spirit, you know, 
now we're going to send Jesus out into the desert to be attacked by Satan. I mean, what does this mean? Well, you need to understand that this word translated desert doesn't just necessarily mean heat and sand. It's actually the Greek word eremos, and uh, this is a, a very rich word. Can you say that with me? Eremos. Eremos is a very important concept in the life and the teaching of, of Jesus. And it can be translated, and you'll find it translated in the Gospels a number of ways in different versions. It can be translated desert or deserted place or lonely place, even sometimes quiet place. And there are dozens of stories all through the Gospels about Jesus' relationship to the Eremos. But this is the first desert story in the New Testament. And I want you to see it because it really is a starting point for his ministry. Maybe you've read this before and you've thought it was kind of strange. Why would the Spirit lead Jesus into the Eremos to be tempted by the devil? I mean, what's up with that? Why the Eremos? Why the desert? Why alone? And why after 40 days of fasting when Jesus is weak and hungry? I think a lot of us have always thought, oh, yeah, Satan comes during this time because that's how the devil operates. You know, he comes when we're weak and he comes at the end of a long day when we're hangry, right? Devil does really bad things in my house when we're all hangry. Have you ever noticed that? And, but that's not what Matthew's saying. So the Aramos is not the place of weakness. It's actually the place of sacred, secret strength for the Christian. It's the quiet place where Jesus downloaded divine strength from his Father to resist and to overcome the devil. The Holy Spirit leads him out into the desert because it is in the Aramos where Jesus is all alone. His soul stripped bare that after a month of prayer and fasting that he rises with the strength to deliver a throat punch to the devil. And then he walks out victorious in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the gospel of the kingdom begins. That's what's happening right here. And that's also why you see over and over in the Gospels, Jesus returning time and time again to the Aramos, to the desert. In fact, look at Mark 1, a verse, a passage from Mark 1. It's like Jesus' first day on the job as Messiah. And it's a marathon day. Ever had a real busy Monday? If you read Mark 1, Jesus is preaching in the temple. He's proclaiming God's word. And then like after lunch, he goes in and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then he stays up late and there's more people. They're coming for healing. He's casting out demons. I mean, you think your Monday's busy. I mean, Jesus is exhausted. What do you think he does the next day? Well, it says in the word of God, Mark 1, 35, therefore he slept in late because he was tired. It doesn't say that, does it? <laughs> it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And we think, oh, cut the guy a break. I mean, sleep in Jesus to 11. Go to brunch with the disciples. Take a nap. You've earned it. But that's not what Jesus does. That's not how Jesus thinks. He spends 40 days in the quiet place he comes back for one day of work, and then he goes straight back out to the Aramos. A quiet place to pray. And this is telling us the Aramos is not just a one-time deal. It was part of Jesus' spiritual routine. He had built this habit of making space for silence and solitude, and that was the inner core from which he drew power and life and strength. But the story's not over. I, this is so real. Look at verses 36 and following. Uh, Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And this is like so real because life happens, right? I mean, he's gone away to be with the Father for silence and solitude, and his disciples, they come looking for him. Any moms, have you ever tried to have a quiet time, and this is what your kids do to you? You know, it's like, Jesus, where have you been? Jesus, you killed it yesterday. Everybody's coming there. Word is out. The New York Times wants an interview. TMZ is camping out at Peter's door, you know, trying to get some stuff. Twitter's blowing up. Hashtag Messiah. You know, it's just all going on. And Jesus, like, I think you broke the Internet. You better come back, and you got to capitalize on this. How does Jesus respond? Well, verse 38 says, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Translation, no thanks. In fact, it's like Jesus says, actually, you know, the noise and the crowds and all the, 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 the hustle and bustles over here, so I'm going to go over here. 
I'm going away. I'm going away from it. See, Jesus had this like laser-like clarity on his calling. And even though his friends and his family are getting up pressuring, they want to hijack his schedule, he is so grounded, so centered, he knows what he needs. And say, well, he's bulletproof to the pressure of his friends. He knows what's most important. Jesus knew exactly what to say yes to, and probably more importantly, he knew what to say no to. And this is the power of the eremos, of the habit of silence and solitude, where you draw on the love of the Father, where you actually learn to quiet your soul and you receive divine direction for your daily assignments. You go to Luke's Gospel you will see that Jesus goes to the Aramos no less than nine times. I'm going to look at one more story. This is Luke 5, verses 15 and 16. It says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You want to guess what Greek word is translated lonely places here? Aramos. And notice, you might underline this, Luke says Jesus often withdrew. This means that this is a habit. He's built a habit, a spiritual routine. He frequently is stepping away. He's making it a point to prioritize silence and solitude. And he's doing this for a very, very simple reason. Jesus understood that time alone with his father was more important than anything in his life. More important than sleep and food, more important than fame and and even followers and even ministries. I mean, read the Gospels. You'll see this pattern. It's like the busier and the more popular Jesus becomes, the more that he withdraws to the Aramos to be alone and to pray. Do you do that? I mean, isn't it true? I mean, we're in church, so we should be honest, right? It's usually the exact opposite for us. The busier we get, the easier it is for us to feel like we have a good excuse to set that time alone with God aside, right? I mean, when our calendars go crazy, our time with God is often the first thing to go rather than my first go-to. Amen? You know why? I think at least for me, It's so easy when I wake up and right there, you know, close by is that digital dopamine dispenser and it lights up and, oh, I got to check it out. And before I know it, I'm scrolling and swiping and and tapping. And when that starts happening, I want to tell you, here's the thought I have never had. You know, I think I should spend some more time right now reading God's word and praying. It's not what we think. We start thinking, I got places to go, things to do, people to see. And we rarely have the reflex to say, I need to pull away to the quiet place, to the Aramos, to listen to God, let him settle my heart. And I I know some of you right now are going, yeah, Mike, you're a pastor. You get paid to, like, live up here at the church where the angels fly around all the time. You You don't know what it's like in the real world. And I know that I don't have your life. I know you have different situations. I mean, some of you, maybe you're like a full time mom with littles all around you and Star Wars Legos scattered on the floor. You keep stepping on them. You know, maybe you would like to get some quiet place, but the only place you can find is locking the door of the bathroom. They still come banging on the door. Or maybe you're just like, Mike, you know, I've got this high-stress job. I, I get up at 3.30 in the morning. I have a killer commute. I don't have time. Or I don't know, maybe you're like an extrovert and you got ADHD and you're thinking, oh man, being quiet is so hard for me. It's hard to be still. Squirrel. Is that you? Anybody? You know? But again, I want to I want to pull you back to something I just said. Think about this. Jesus, the Son of God, needed time every day in the quiet place. What makes you think you don't? Now, this habit down through the centuries has come to be called silence and solitude and it's about this place where where God speaks to your soul in the deepest places it's about whether you gather gather yourself before God and you put everything there the good the bad the ugly and sometimes sometimes some of you don't do this because this is true this happens sometimes this quiet this quiet place it just surfaces for you a lot of stuff you don't want to see all your anxieties and all your compulsions and all your fears and all your exist- addictions it just comes up and 
But when that happens, what you're supposed to do is just take them to God. Open yourself to God and surrender those things to God and experience the presence of God. And I'm telling you, when you do that, over time especially, you will find the Holy Spirit strengthening you and giving you power and encouragement, and you'll be able to do battle with the evil one. Now, I'm not saying here that, like, you have to go to the desert and spend the entire day there. I mean, we find silence and solitude in a number of places, and it's possible even in this world in which we live. Um, one author on building spiritual habits says that we can seek out what he calls minute retreats. In other words, just brief moments of time where we still ourselves and listen to God. Several, several times a day, we can find those moments if we want them. We really can and I would encourage you not only to do like minute retreats and begin to build that into your life, but also to have a goal of taking a little bit longer time, at least once a day. And probably the best time for you to have a time of silence is when you have your quiet time, your, your time with God reading the Bible and praying and just being alone with him. But you need to look for other times as well. Let me just tell you a couple of things you can do. Turn off the TV. Now, again, I don't know if I'm talking to anybody in particular or not, so if I'm looking at you and talking to you and you feel like I'm, I'm aiming this at right at you, it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit, okay? But some of us, some of us turn the TV on when we're not even watching. It just stays on all day because we like the noise. Can you see what's wrong with that? It is damaging your soul. Turn the TV off. I, I found that I need to focus more on turning the radio off or my music off in the car. I, it's like I get in the car, and, and I'm going to have to listen to music because I've got this long drive from the office home. It takes about 15 minutes, and I can't have silence for that long. Sorry, I'm not rubbing it in. But sometimes I tell myself, you know, you just don't have anything on. You can't sit there for 15 minutes and just be quiet. We, we, we need to begin to think about ways to create quiet in our lives. We do a lot of this to ourselves. It's self-inflicted. You understand what I'm saying, right? Maybe you just need to go for a walk. But you can find places and ways to be still. Now, why is this important? Why solitude and silence? You know, the Bible gives us another reason. And I've already been giving you the number one main reason. I'll put it up here on the screen. It's to follow Jesus' example. That's the first reason. But also, uh, second, to hear God's voice more clearly. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. And then third... We need silence and solitude to express worship to God. Habakkuk 2.20 says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Zephaniah 1.7 says, Be silent before the sovereign Lord. And we always need to remind ourselves God is God. And friends, silence is a way of recognizing God is first and preeminent, that God is more important than anything in our lives. Fourth, we need this to demonstrate faith in God. Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2 says, My soul waits in silence for God only from him. Is my salvation. He only is my rock and salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. And then Isaiah 30, 15 says, This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. You want to know why you're weak? Maybe this right here. See, faith sometimes means we just wait on God in silence. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to say anything. We're just silent and we're trusting God to act, and to speak, and to lead and to save. Fifth, we do this to seek the Lord's salvation. And this sometimes may be about someone who doesn't know the Lord seeking salvation from, from their sin and their guilt. Or it may be about a Christ follower seeking God's salvation from certain circumstances they're under. 
Lamentations 3, 25 and following says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Sixth, to be physically and spiritually restored. Now, Jesus said to his disciples once, Mark 6, 31, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Anybody tired? Some of you are so exhausted right now. And some of it's out of your control. But I'm telling you, some of it, and you know this is true, don't you? You're doing it to yourself. We, we, we build this in our lives. We can be restored. And then seventh, to seek God's will. Sometimes we just need space for silence to understand what God is saying to us, how he's leading us. In Luke 6, 12 and 13, Jesus is doing this before he, he 12, chose his 12 disciples. It says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. So these are all just very clear biblical reasons. And I think that we would all agree that we want to have these benefits of silence and solitude in our lives. But here's the thing. I, I've kind of alluded to this already. Some of us are going to resist. Some of you are resisting. Some of you don't like what I'm saying. I mean, you get it at one level, but you don't want to do it. Some of us don't like silence. And the reason really is we have a hard time being with ourselves. And there's stuff going on in our lives, maybe from the past, that we don't want to deal with. And I understand there may be complex issues involved in why, and maybe you need to get some counseling for that, and maybe you need to get involved with community to help you with that, getting in your life group and sharing what's going on. But hear me, the fact that you don't want to be still is a sign. It is a sign to you that you desperately need quiet silence, that you desperately need this habit of silence and solitude. So how? How can we do this? How can we begin to practice this Jesus habit? And I'm gonna, I want to suggest something for us that is not the only thing, but it's a big thing today. What many of us need is a digital detox. See, just like you do a physical detox, which is like a reset for your body, a digital detox is a reset for your brain and for your soul. And, and for some of you, this may be life-changing and it takes time, and it's not easy. It's always going to be a battle. But what I'm really suggesting and what I'm about to show you is that you commit yourself to doing this for at least three weeks because, because this kind of thing doesn't take, it doesn't sink in and grab on until you've worked it in and you begin to build the habit. And it takes usually around three weeks at least to do this. Probably longer is going to be best. But let me tell you three things, just three things that you can do with this thing right here, okay? And the first one is this. Turn your smartphone into a dumb phone. Some of you say, I already have a dumb phone. Okay, you're ahead of the game. Um, well, you say, what do you mean by that? Well, you delete the apps that are, that are a time suck for you. Just get rid of them. In other words, goodbye social media. <laughs> for a lot of you, goodbye email off of your phone. Just check it at work or maybe once a day otherwise. Maybe you take Facebook and Instagram off your phone, but you can still look at them like once a day on a computer. That would qualify. But some of you, you just need to go cold turkey. You really do. And you know you do. It is eating up your time. It is stealing your joy. It is damaging your relationships with the people you love most. All your compulsive scrolling when you should be doing something that really matters. Pulling your phone out and tapping and swiping and, and scrolling. Whenever you have a moment, you notice that. I mean, if life stops and you have a moment, like you're just standing in line, it's going to be there like, I don't know, 60 or 90 seconds. I, I better look at my phone. You can't just stand there. Or you get to a stoplight. It drives me crazy. People looking at their phones when they should be driving, right? And sometimes that's me. 
but we can't even stop it then. Or, or like, you know, posting on social media when you're in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, you don't do this, huh? <laughs> I mean, this is so vital if you want a, a distraction-free life. You just need to turn off notifications. Some of you have just allowed notifications to happen. You didn't even ask for them. They just do it. You know the default mode is for them to do it. You have to turn it off because that's where the money is, right? And so you're like living your life, and it's just ding. Oh, Meghan Markle's leaving the royal family. Oh, no, what's going on there? Ding. Justin Bieber has Lyme disease. I mean, is this really news for your life? Is this something urgent for you? You say, but, 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 but what, if, what if someone has news, news that's like truly urgent? It's a phone. Let them call you. See, here's my question, and it's going to be different for every one of us. Maybe it's uh, what functions, what functions could you remove on your phone for three weeks and survive so that, here's the principle, your phone is used for utility, not entertainment. What could you change? And again, it'll look different for all of us. Maybe it's Instagram, maybe it's Facebook, maybe it's YouTube or TikTok, or maybe it's a sports app. But you take away the parts of your phone that cause distraction. And I want to just say to you right now, maybe the Spirit's leading me. Some of you are saying, I can't do it. You don't want to change. And here's the reality. You're not going to change. And here's another reality. You're going to miss out on so much good that the Lord wants to bless you with. So lower the resistance. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Open yourself up to what he is saying to you. It's not the same for everybody, but be willing to listen. Second step is put your phone to bed at night. You know, if you're a parent, you put your kids to sleep, right? Well, collect all phones in your house. And by the way, parents, if you are letting... Oh, if you are letting... Uh, <laughs> I may have sounded like I was trying to be funny. Actually, it's, it's, it's sad is the mood I wanted to convey. If you are letting your children have their phone in their room, you are exposing them to such spiritual danger. See, here's the thing. I don't know. For thousands of years, people have been able to go to sleep without a phone. I don't know how. But somehow they've managed. So collect your phones, put them somewhere on the charger. They'll be ready to go in the morning. And then when you get up, you know, at some point you can do that. It's really one of the worst habits that we've developed is keeping our phones near to our bed. It's just too tempting. You will stay up late frying your brain with blue screen, and then the first thing in the morning, you're going to wake up and you're going to check your phone. Statistics, 75% of adults sleep with their phone next to them. 90% of them, first thing they do in the morning is check their phone. And I am serious when I say this is a spiritual issue. Here's the third step. Let your phone sleep until you've spent time with God. Or you could put it this way, scripture before screens. See, here's the deal. Do not allow your device to set your emotional equilibrium for the day. Just stop it. See, we all know, don't we? We, we just live in a toxic time, right? I mean, you feel it, you smell it, you taste it. It's all around us. Why do you want to start your day with that, overwhelming your soul with all that fear and envy and anger and outrage? I mean, it just poisons things, right? See, instead of that, for 21 days, digital detox, start your day in the presence of God. Go to your Eremos, that quiet place, and open your Bible. Let your phone sleep until you've spent time with your Father. And put God first. Allow him to bring peace and strength and quiet and calm into your life. And it can be a game changer for you. It can, really can. And so with the time that I have remaining, I want to just really quickly uh, give you the steps to have an effective, quiet time with Jesus. And um, 
You know, once again, this happens a lot of Sundays. You guys have not listened quickly enough, so I'm going to have to give this to you really quickly. That was a joke. You guys missed it. Um, I'm just going to give you the four steps, and then I'm going to close with something I want to leave you with. Uh, By the way, if you want more on this, Discovery 2.1 is this afternoon. We're going to spend all afternoon and four hours of studying spiritual habits. A huge part of that is this. But if you want to have a time with God, four things that you need to build into your life. Find a specific place and time. You know, find your Eremos. Make a spot, whatever room it's in, whatever chair it's in. Get that place and make it happen there. Secondly, settle your soul. See, a huge part of, of this is allowing our soul to settle down and to be quiet and still. And maybe you only can do this for 15 minutes. That's okay. Start with 15 minutes. And when you're doing that, you meditate on God's word. That's third. And you can get more information about this if you refer back to the message on the habit of Bible intake. Or you can come to 201 today. Um, but do that. And then maybe, maybe for some of us, try journaling. Some of us will find that actually sitting down and writing something out, writing the thoughts God is showing us in the Bible, writing out our prayers will help us to focus and help us to have clarity. So what's the takeaway on all this? Here's the challenge. I already mentioned it. Let me say it again. The challenge to you today is starting today for the next three weeks, you do a digital detox. You change the way that you're interacting with your screens, with your phone. And you get serious about the damage that all of the overstimulation and and maybe even the obsession and maybe even the addiction surrounding your phone and really all of your screens, all all the damage that that is doing to your souls. And again, I'm going to keep saying it because some of you are in denial right now. You won't admit this is an issue for you or you just can't bear the idea of getting still and actually having to deal with some things you have kept buried for a long time. Do you know why? Do you know why I I felt led to examine this habit? There's actually a whole lot of very, very valuable spiritual habits that we're not going to be able to cover in in a message. But we're looking at this habit today because I know, I know that all of the truth I've been teaching in the last few weeks about the habit of Bible intake, about the habit of prayer, about the habit of servanthood, I know I know, I know, I know that if you do not address the digital distraction in your life, the odds are very, very good that your phone alone, not saying anything about TV and the Internet, that it will sabotage even your very best intentions. And so don't deny, don't rationalize, don't procrastinate. Will you, friend, listen to the voice of the Lord speaking to you today from his word. Let me close with a story. We recently celebrated Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. I I heard this fascinating story about Dr. King and the civil rights movement. It was 1956, about a month after King was elected uh, to head uh, the Montgomery Improvement Association. It was started in response to the arrest of Rosa Parks. And at this point, he was at a breaking point. He, He thought the boycott uh, was going to last just a few weeks, but it became clear that the racist government officials were not going to budge. And he was under tremendous pressure. He, he had been getting death threats against him, against his wife, against his children, and he was being harassed. He got arrested and thrown in jail. You know why? For going 30 in a 25-mile-an-hour zone. And he was going through all of this. He came home from jail, and there were new dre- death threats. And not surprisingly, one night he couldn't sleep. And he got up and he went to the kitchen and he made himself a cup of coffee and he sat down at the kitchen table to deal with his anxiety and he did not know if he could go on. Years later, this is what Dr. King said in a sermon about that moment of quiet. He said, I I bowed down over that cup of coffee. I will never forget it. I prayed a prayer and I prayed it out loud that night. I said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. But Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. And at that very moment, I heard a voice, an inner voice that seemed to say to me, Martin Luther, stand up. Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you always to the very end of the world. 
And King said in that moment of quiet, he had this clarity like liquid courage being poured into his heart. And it was because he spent that time in the quiet place and he gathered the strength to lead the civil rights movement. And the rest, of course, as they would say, is history. Now, the person who was telling the story was making a a point about the power of quiet, about how important silence is in our lives. But here's a fascinating question. I wonder what would have happened if Dr. King had had an iPhone. What if that moment of quiet never came? What if King never heard that inner voice telling him to stand up for righteousness and press on? What if he had never heard Jesus saying, I will be with you? What if instead of quieting down and embracing the awkwardness of the silence, Dr. King reached for his phone and he read another text message that was a death threat? Or what if he clicked the link that someone had sent him to that fake news story about him? Or what if he decided to say, you know, I've got all this anger and anxiety. I'm going to post something on Facebook about this. This will make a real difference. And then he just started responding to all the comments as they came in. Or what if he just decided to deal with the pressure that he'd distract himself, I don't know, with TikTok or Candy Crush into the wee hours? Would there have even been a civil rights movement as we know it today? See, we are are living in history. This is the brave new world, friends. This new normal is digital distraction. And I have to ask you, as your pastor, is there room in your noisy and busy life to settle your soul and to actually truly hear the voice of God in silence and in solitude? Because it is the quiet place where clarity is born. It is in the Aramos where God speaks And we receive words of love and assurance and direction for our lives. And if you choose to embrace and develop and build this habit, I am just telling you, it can change your life. No matter what's going on in this world, the Word of God tells us it is possible for us to live lives of peace and confidence in God. But we have to live like Jesus lived to experience the life that Jesus experienced. Will you listen to the word of the Lord to you today?